0: Elon Musk has more money than anyone else in the world. Sometimes it seems like he has the most disruptive, influential companies in the world too. Rocket man Elon Musk is the founder of SpaceX. Tesla is another revolutionary idea from the mind of Elon Musk. And this week, Musk reached a deal to bring something even more iconic under his ownership. Elon Musk has clinched a deal to buy Twitter for $44 billion. So, why does the richest man alive want to own Twitter? And what could it mean for the rest of us? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. answer that question, I'm talking to Alex Shepard, a staff writer for The New Republic. He's covered everything from politics to business to tech, and Elon has been there every step of the way. So I asked him to break down what's actually happening between Elon Musk and Twitter. Of course, it begins with a tweet.
1: So basically, at the end of March, Elon Musk, he loves to do Twitter polls. And in this instance, he basically did a poll that said, if Twitter is the de facto public square, I guess, of planet Earth, is it doing a good enough job to promote free speech? And these questions, often the answer is sort of baked in, right? Anything that Elon wants always gets 75% of the vote. These polls are also not scientific. You know, it's not a Gallup poll or
0: whatever. (laughs) Right. And for anyone who's not been on Twitter, these are on his page where his followers will see them presumably and vote.
1: Yeah. What we didn't know is that Musk had actually already bought 9.2% of the company a week earlier or 10 days earlier. And And then as soon as this news breaks, pandemonium breaks out.
0: Twitter on fire this morning over twitter the story that the world does not seem to be getting enough of elon musk he has become twitter's biggest shareholder
1: musk bought shares worth almost
0: 3 billion dollars that's more than the gdp of bhutan lesotho seychelles or grenada and saint kitts combined so that news that Elon Musk had spent nearly $3 billion to become Twitter's shareholder broke on April 4th. By the time I spoke with Alex on Friday, April 22nd, things had escalated. Musk announced he wanted to buy Twitter outright, and that meant shelling out a much heftier sum of money.
1: He has gotten more than $20 billion of his own money together as part of this deal and then taken out another 20 billion and loans, and this is a deal that probably will go through.
0: And then on Monday, we got confirmation. Breaking news right now, Elon Musk is buying Twitter. An offer just shy of $44 billion accepted today by Twitter's board. Now, pending approval from regulators and company stockholders, Elon Musk will take over Twitter, buy out the shareholders at $54.20 a share, and take the company private.
1: We're kind of entering into a period where somebody is going to own this company who has been very outspoken about not wanting to run it as a business and has been very outspoken about wanting to run it as a quote-unquote free speech absolutist. But what that actually means in practice, I think, is, is going to be very interesting.
0: Especially when you hear how Musk views Twitter himself. On April 14th, right in the midst of this Twitter drama, Elon Musk sat down for a live interview at a TED conference. He repeated some of the same things he'd tweeted before, about Twitter being a de facto town square, one in which free speech within the law is important. And he also said, This is not a uh, way to sort of make money. It, my, my strong intuitive sense is that having a public platform that is maximally trusted and broadly inclusive is extremely important to the future of civilization that's a lot of weight for the little blue bird to carry. It's also a lot of power for one man who can pull together $44 billion to hold. I asked Alex about some of the changes Musk might make.
1: So Musk has labeled himself a free speech absolutist, which has a more or less clear meaning, right? Which is theoretically, this is someone who is interested in maximizing speech. And he has implicitly, or I guess explicitly criticized Twitter, for not being that. It is the public square, but it's not doing enough to promote free speech. The problem with this is that Musk has actually not identified individual problems with Twitter's approach to speech. Mm -hmm. There have been a few small things. So Twitter started removing accounts associated with the Russian government, labeling some as propaganda and removing others.
0: Back in March, Elon Musk said his Starlink service, which has been providing Internet to Ukraine, would not block Russian news services. Unless at gunpoint. That announcement came, of course, via tweet. Sorry to be a free speech absolutist, he went on to say. But aside from that, you really have to read between the lines.
1: What would Musk do about hate speech, right? Free speech in America mostly just says that the government can't come in and tell people what to say, but you, broadly speaking, have a right to a, a pretty wide array of political speech. This is not true for private companies. Twitter itself has long insisted that it's a platform. Anything that is put on, Twitter has the right to take off. Anyone who joins, they have the right to ban permanently.
0: Yeah. It explains why there's been a lot of discussion over the years about how effective big tech is at moderating content. And that includes Twitter. So do you think that Musk is making any valid points in that regard?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that Twitter deserves to be criticized for its lack of consistency in its content moderation policies. And for the most part, it's tried to balance out those competing imperatives, right, of being a platform for quote-unquote everyone, but also to remove whatever violent or hateful speech.
0: Something that's been pretty contentious in the past. Take one of the most high-profile content moderation choices Twitter has made to date. What's always been Donald Trump's megaphone, now silenced. His personal Twitter account permanently suspended, the company says, due to the risk of further incitement of violence.
1: Trump had probably done plenty of things that would have gotten a normal person kicked off the platform going back years. And it isn't until you have this riot at the United States Capitol that he's egging on on Twitter that he finally gets yanked. And it really is never... Clearly explained why this was the moment, and I think pulling him was the right move, but it underscored this other problem, which is that Twitter's own policies often don't make a lot of sense, uh, and they're not consistently applied.
0: Will Donald Trump be back on Elon Musk's Twitter? The former U.S. president says that instead, he'll join Truth Social, the social network he launched last month. Their shares have plummeted since Musk's Twitter drama began. Musk has said he's more comfortable with what he calls timeouts rather than permanent bans. He's also mentioned some other updates he'd like to see at Twitter, like the potential to edit tweets. And he suggested making Twitter's algorithm public. But Alex says,
1: That's really not possible to do. There isn't like, you know, a secret algorithm that Twitter has and they keep in a supercomputer somewhere in a basement in Palo Alto that decides what is and isn't seen on Twitter But I do think that the larger point that he's making is still a good one. And I think that, you know, some more transparency there would be good.
0: So anyone who follows Elon Musk knows that he has quite an interesting social media presence. And I'll let the listener figure out what interesting means to them. But what does that presence look like? How does Elon Musk use Twitter? He's
1: probably Twitter's most high-profile user and also its most high-profile troll. When it first became public that he had owned 9.2% of Twitter since mid-March, he wrote Oh hi, LOL. He's a silly guy for the most part, but he also does occasionally talk about important hot-button issues, whether they be climate change. He's occasionally threatened his employees for unionizing over Twitter.
0: Which got him into trouble. The U.S. labor governing body made him delete the tweet. And it wasn't the only time his tweets have gotten him a slap on the wrist. For example, back in 2018, when a group of teenage Thai soccer players were trapped in a cave...
1: Enormous relief in Thailand as rescue teams found that youth soccer team alive in a cave nearly 10 days after the group went missing. There was a point where Elon Musk had, as usual, needlessly inserted himself into a complex global situation and was trying to invent some sort of submarine that would rescue these people and... When a British diver basically said, you're not being helpful, Musk responded by saying that he was, quote, a pedo guy.
0: That one ended up in a defamation lawsuit. Elon won this time around.
1: That is not necessarily the behavior of somebody interested in making a global public square, but I think it does get at something that is a little more sinister as well, which is that, you know, for all of his high-minded and idealistic talk, of what he wants Twitter to be. He's routinely gone after people who have criticized him. There's a teenager who had made an account that followed his plane around.
0: 19-year-old Jack Sweeney has been tracking the Tesla SpaceX billionaire's private Gulfstream. Musk wasn't pleased. He reportedly offered the creator money to take the account down. This time, he wasn't successful. The account ElonJet is still on Twitter for now has more than 400,000 followers. But Alex says Musk's attitude towards potentially critical fellow Twitter users is still concerning.
1: The thing that's troubling about this is you can also see a, a sort of darker timeline for Musk taking over Twitter in which he uses his power to further his own business interest. He uses his power to go after his critics and maybe at the same time he is Promoting free speech in a way that Republicans in Congress applaud, but at every moment he's cutting corners to go after someone who says that Tesla isn't, you know, as viable a business as he he says it is.
0: So as you've mentioned, Musk came into this venture by tweeting about free speech principles and democracy. So with that in mind, I wanted to ask about another type of company that's gotten a lot of billionaire interest, and that is media companies.
1: The new era for Time magazine, Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff is buying the legendary news outlet.
0: Jeff Bezos, the founder and CEO of Amazon.com, is buying The Washington Post. Price tag, $250 million. Do you see any parallels there? Because as we've mentioned, Twitter is a platform. It's not necessarily a media company, even though most of us in the media are on it and treated as such. But what could those parallels be?
1: I'm one of many people who have made this comparison, but I think we are living in a moment right now that's quite similar to the one in the late 19th and early 20th century in which call them industrial capitalists or robber barons or whatever else people who accumulated just enormous amounts of wealth during the, the, I guess, the first Gilded Age, we'll call it now. Uh, And one of the things that they did with it was they bought up media companies, for the most part, regional newspapers that they then used to expand their political influence and in many ways further line their pockets. Citizen Kane is about one of these figures, William Randolph Hearst. Citizen Kane is a modern American
0: story about a man called Kane, Charles Foster Kane. Citizen Kane is widely considered one of the best films ever made in Hollywood. As Alex mentioned, it's influenced by the life of businessman and newspaper tycoon William Randolph Hearst. And the movie explores a lot of the things we're still talking about today, in this very episode, about power and wealth and media. But Alex says this isn't relegated to the past. I
1: think Musk buying Twitter is in some ways the... Biggest example of this trend that we've seen really explode over the last 10 years with figures like Jeff Bezos buying The Washington Post. You have incredibly concentrated media. And what you see with billionaires in particular is that they uh, want to use concentrated media to put a stamp on American politics. And Musk, I think, is no different, even if he hasn't been saying so explicitly.
0: And that stamp can be pretty unclear, depending on the billionaire. Take the example that Alex just brought up. Jeff Bezos, who purchased the Washington Post back in 2013.
1: Why does Jeff Bezos want to own the Washington Post? This is somebody who is based in Seattle, someone who's never taken a particularly in-depth approach to, to politics before. And I think the answer was Amazon was increasingly under scrutiny by federal regulators. It was also finding itself increasingly after years of being a darling on both the right and the left, of um, being a target. And, you know, becoming a power player within Washington, D.C. is a good business move. Uh, And that, I think, is one argument for why Bezos bought The Post. Now, The Post, it's a better newspaper than it was, you know, when Bezos bought it. It it continues to hold powerful people to account. But that doesn't change the fact that owning it has made Bezos a very important player within the Washington, D.C., political scene.
0: Bezos isn't the only one to invest in media. Alex says you find billionaires on the right of the political spectrum doing this more often. One example is the late casino magnate Sheldon Adelson. He was known for donating millions to right-wing causes. And in 2015, he became the owner of the Las Vegas Review-Journal, a controversial move for someone who had such a stake in the local economy. He
1: used it not just to cement his own political and economic power within Las Vegas, but also to push his, you know, pretty far-right Republican ideas. And the newspaper itself, you know, still was doing newspaper things. There's still very many good journalists who work there. But again, the reason you buy such a publication is to expand your political influence. And it works the same way today as it did in 1910.
0: You once wrote, billionaires owning newspapers makes much more sense for billionaires than it does for healthy democracy. So you've described how owning Twitter or a newspaper or some other company that doesn't necessarily make money could still help the billionaires. How does it hurt democracy, though? I
1: mean, in the same way that economic concentration hurts democracy, that you have a, a smaller and smaller pool of people who are dictating the priorities of American media, which is you know, already pretty hobbled and already extraordinarily concentrated.
0: So what about Twitter, though? Do you think Elon Musk potentially buying Twitter plays into that?
1: To some extent, this is Jeff Bezos buying The Washington Post times 100,000 or something. Mm. That Musk wants to buy it because he thinks of it as the most influential space for discourse in the world. And he wants to have power over how that works. That, I think, should make anyone feel unsettled. I'm unsettled by the power that Twitter has in in that way to begin with. I don't necessarily think even having one company, whether it be publicly traded or not, having that degree of power is good either. But with Musk, someone who is guided almost entirely by whims, someone who doesn't seem to think at particular length about the long or short-term consequences of these whims, it's troubling, to say the least, You could easily see a situation in which you you have someone who's essentially, you know, a mad king. He's gotten his favorite toy, and now you just have to wonder what he's going to do with it.
0: On Monday, as the deal was being finalized, Musk tweeted, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter, because that is what free speech means. And he knows all eyes are on him. Here he is again during his interview at TED. I think everyone will still blame me for everything. (laughs) Yeah, if something if if I acquire a Twitter and something goes wrong, it's my fault, 100%. <laughs> I, I think there will be quite a few arrows. So one of Elon Musk's most recent tweets, April 21st, if our Twitter bid succeeds, we will defeat the spam bots or die trying and authenticate all real humans. And it's, as we speak, constantly racking up the likes, hundreds of thousands right now. So say Elon Musk implements everything he says he's going to implement, including this. Do you think your personal relationship to Twitter changes at all?
1: No, I don't. But I'm a maniac. Like, I can't stay off of it. <laughs> but but I think it will change for a lot of other people, right? The thing that you just mentioned, I think, is is alarming, right? This idea of authenticating all users. You know, in many places, it's dangerous to criticize whoever's in power and... Anonymity is extremely important, and it's extremely important for the exact thing that Elon Musk is claiming that he wants Twitter to do, which is to be able to have the best ideas rise to the top or to have a kind of provocative but ultimately restorative discourse about global politics.
0: Yeah. And I agree with you and also have this love-hate relationship with it. But I can't deny the fact that um, the likelihood of Elon Musk coming onto our podcast is low. But I was able to head to his Twitter account right now as we were speaking and bring his views in because he tweeted them for the world to see. So the idea of it being the public square is your final thought here. What do you make of that accessibility? Is that a good thing?
1: It's something I go back and forth about. I mean, one of the weird things is that Elon Musk has been complaining about how Twitter isn't a public square. In a lot of ways, it's the closest thing that we have. I like the fact that I can go to Twitter right now and search a phrase and see every response to it. You know, When I watch my beloved Liverpool football club, I we'll just love searching <laughs> whatever player is making me mad or happy mm-hmm. that day. And mm-hmm. that's a great way to spend 45 seconds. But in some ways, I think Musk's conception of it is, is quite... Elevated, And in some ways, it's a throwback to the way people were talking about it a while ago. We were talking about Twitter, Facebook to a lesser extent in the early 2010s as a harbinger of a new global society. And that hasn't happened. It isn't a place where you're having these Socratic dialogues or whatever. It's mostly a place like almost everywhere else on the Internet that is overrun by trolls. It's hard to take particularly seriously. And if you do take it seriously, you'll go insane in about five minutes. Yeah. I think Musk's crusade is doomed to fail because I think it's a it's a category error. You know, it, it may be the global public square, but trying to turn it into a more sophisticated version of that is impossible. And I think what you're going to end up getting is a Twitter that looks more like Elon Musk's Twitter, a place where you know, insincerity is, is rampant and, you know, maybe some people are having fun, but it's you know, unpleasant for most of the rest
0: of us. And that's The Take. Before we go, Elon Musk, if you're listening, we'd love to get your take too. You can find us on your new platform or on Instagram with our new handle at Podcasts. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai with Ruby Zeman, Amy Walters, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya al and Adam Abu Ghad are our engagement producers. We'll be back.